Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Delighted today to be joined by Mike Porath. Uh, Mike runs an organization called The Mighty. When I first heard about this organization, I couldn't believe uh, the story, the background. And it's, it's quite a challenging story about his daughter being diagnosed with a rare disease and how Mike and his wife decided to set up uh, The Mighty, which is a community, a health community, the largest health community in the world. But it's about sharing stories, whether you're a parent, whether you're a, a, a sufferer from a particular illness, um, and how you share your stories to help others. And when you hear his uh, story built into the dream build and then serve, you'll hear a leadership philosophy driven by a passion and a purpose, um, which is beautiful. So lovely story. Uh, it, it'll tug some heartstrings and it will tug some, um, some mental strings around how we as leaders can really engage communities and how we as a community and wider community can pull together different views and different stories to help others uh, in there. So I think you're going to love this one. Um, and I will look forward to hearing your feedback afterwards. So, Mike, why don't we, it'd be great for you to introduce yourself to the, the listeners, who you are, and you've got such a great story, but I'd love you to just give a flavor of the background of who you are. Yeah. Sure. Uh, my name is Mike Porath. I'm the uh, founder and CEO of The Mighty, which is a world's leading health community. Um, and, uh, you know, my background, I, I grew up in the Midwest here in the United States, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, one of four kids, Irish Catholic family. Uh, my dad was the... Uh, uh, worked at Hallmark Cards as a salesperson for 30 years. My mom was a nurse. Um, just a, you know, good, typical, you know, fun childhood. My dad coached all four of us in pretty much all, all of our sports and things like that. Um, then went on to the College of William and Mary in Virginia. That's where I uh, studied English and psychology there. And kind of what launched me into my, you know, career was really, um, I, during my junior year, I applied for, I think 40 some internships and this was pre internet and you know, all of that, uh, you know, envelopes sending them out. And, um, I got no response or knows from 39 of those 40. Uh, but there was a woman, uh, at ABC news up in New York who just liked the cover letter I sent. I didn't, I didn't have any, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a real resume or anything like that. Um, but we had a phone call and she said, you know, why don't you come up here to New York? And, um, and it, it was a documentary unit that they, that she ran. And so that was kind of my, you know, launching pad into the world of media and all of those types of things. Um, and then it was years later, which we can get into where I started the mighty based on, um, really a personal passion and, and, you know, raising a daughter with a, with a rare disease. So I'm happy to get into all that too. No, that's great. I love it. I love the fact that you go back to putting things in envelopes and posting them out. And you <laughs> yeah. think about the work that you used to take to do all of that. And now it's online, you know, uh, forms filling out. But again, it was, it's, it's, yeah. it's, uh, that was the way, you know, things happen then. And, and actually now we still send out um, handwritten thank you cards as uh, to community members, to partners and clients. Um, and I think it's, you know, again, growing up as the son of uh, someone who worked at Hallmark Cards, you know, um, 
I saw my dad every, you know, it was like every Christmas he's sitting there signing, you know, watching college, you know, uh, football games, you know, writing all these uh, cards to folks and it kind of became ingrained. And so when we send out, you know, cards to community members or partners, they love it because they, so, I mean, when's the last time you got a handwritten card from a brand that you're a community or something that you were a part of. So, um, yeah, we love doing that stuff. Yeah, no, my old boss used to always do me handwritten notes after uh, one-to-ones, you know, just to say thank you, summarize the key points. But he always used to take the um, the care of, you know, I support Newcastle United, a soccer team across here, and they play in black and white. So he always used to pick something about Newcastle and the background and everything else. It, it makes a, a real difference. I love that touch. Yeah. It makes a difference. Yeah, it does. It does. So let's get into the mighty because, you know, I'd love to to to. to to dig deep into this because this is an incredible story. Love you to just feel free to tell the story and I'll, I'll ask a couple of questions as we go along. Tell us. Yeah. So I spent most of my career as a journalist, um, again, working for mostly big, um, media outlets, ABC news, NBC news, the New York times. And as I was kind of growing professionally, my wife and I had our, our first child, a daughter, we have three boys, uh, as well. Um, and she had all kinds of complications, you know, early on, we knew when, before she was even six months old, that something was off. She was not developing like a typical kid, what, you know, would, and we spent the next year and a half, you know, going up and down the East coast at the time we were living in New York and, and, um, trying to get answers. And ultimately we did finally find a doctor who, uh, suggested some genetic tests and it turned out she has a chromosomal abnormality. It's a a rare disease called dupe 15 Q syndrome. Um, and basically it's extra genetic material, uh, in every cell in her body. And, um, the way most people experience it, there's, um, I mean, the, the way he explained it to us was her mind will never, will never develop beyond that of a five-year-old is that's, you know, the day we got the phone call, that's, you know, what he said. And, uh, you know, we've since learned she's 15 now. She was two at the time when we got the diagnosis. There's lots of challenges that we, you know, try to manage and deal with in a lot of different ways. Um, and what we learned very early on going through the process after getting the diagnosis was the thing that helped us most was connecting with other parents. Um, you know, it's uh, most of the, we had a great medical team around us, but this was pretty new to them. There weren't a lot of experts. Uh, we only, uh, there was only at the time 300 known people in the United States with this, you know, rare disease since then it's now we know that that's probably likely over 10,000. So, um, it's not quite as rare as, as, as we thought back then, but it was really connecting with these other parents and understanding, what their journeys have been. Right. And it just made us feel not so alone. Um, and, uh, it made us more hopeful. You know, I think that, that, uh, story that I tell often is the day that we got the diagnosis. Um, you know, I went online and I found, uh, an old PDF file that had six stories written by parents, um, about, you know, their children and going, you know, through this and they were scary. Um, you know, learning about kids having 30, 40 seizures a day. Um, they were, uh, you know, it, uh, at the same time, there was uh, surprisingly humor in some of them in terms of how they manage things and what they did. And there was joy in terms of seeing the ways that their kids did develop. And that just, you know, reading those stories was the most important thing that happened that day for me after getting the news, because I already felt connected to some other people that were out there. And that was really the idea behind the mighty, um, from that moment, 
I didn't launch the the mighty until five years later. It was kind of, you know, I was kind of marinating in this idea of, uh, you know, how we would connect people in the same way I ended up getting connected, you know, to, uh, to other parents. And it was really through stories. That's, that's what worked for us. That's what I knew. That was my, you know, my professional, you know, career was in stories really. And, um, and so we launched the mighty, you know, my wife and I did with the idea that we could, um, connect people through, other people's stories. And so we started by, you know, I, I, I hired a, a woman from the Huffington post, um, uh, to start this with me kind of bootstrapped. It was, you know, paying her with my, you know, savings account yeah. you know, checks again, handwritten in the mail. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but that's, that's how we started. And the idea was we're going to do three stories every day. And since then we have now done over 50,000 stories written by members of our community, um, that have been, you know, seen, uh, tens of millions of times, um, whether people finding them through Google or Facebook groups or things like that. And, um, and then we, we first kind of started with stories and then re- recognized we needed to really help people connect. And so we essentially started building it as a social network, uh, on top of all of the content that was being produced. And along the way, this was a for-profit company. This was a, um, you know, we had raised some money from venture capitalists and all that. So we also had to figure out a business model. And that ended up being forms of content marketing and advertising, as well as, you know, we eventually learned was we were sitting on such, you know, great insight from millions of people. There's uh, close to 4 million members of the community now who want to share about their own experiences. And that's very, very helpful to, when you look at that kind of data and insight in mass, that's really helpful to folks in the healthcare industry who are trying to better understand what people are going through. And so, um, you know, that, that type of business model, we don't sell anyone's personal information. It's all anonymized and all that, but that, um, ultimately led to, you know, we're, we're you know moving in this direction of really growing the the company because we have the revenue sources coming in and that allows us to support you know a lot more people in the community. I love that. So it started with stories. It's reminding me of the the human library that's out there that I don't know you heard about the human library where you can you can go and if you want to find out what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes, you can actually speak to somebody who is in those uh, circumstances. So it is a bit like that. The stories are bringing to life different illnesses and the, it's more about the parents or is it about the patients? Just some interest in that side. It's, it started with more of the parents, um, but it is definitely more of, uh, you know, patients. So when we survey our members, you know, we know that, uh, over 90% of them identify as, you know, people living with, um, health conditions, health issues. Um, there's about 30% that are also caregivers, right? And so that could be someone that's taking care of their child. It could also be someone who's taking care of their mom or dad, you know, who may be, you know, going through, you know, challenges later in life. Um, and then we have a couple couple hundred thousand healthcare providers that are part of that, you know, the, the community and platform as well, um, which is super helpful. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it, the stories is where it starts because that brings people into, uh, an experience where they don't feel, you know, so alone. Um, and then it moves on to a lot of people then join groups or sign up for email newsletters. We send out over 20 million email newsletters a month, um, that reach people that again, have maybe questions that other people that are like them are asking that they can provide answers answers to, um, there's a number of different things that we do there. Um, and then, uh, so the people organize in, in, you know, different groups, people launch new groups on the platform, you know, every day. So maybe for someone living with bipolar disorder, they just want to be a 
a part of a big group of, of other people with bipolar. In some cases, though, it could be like someone starts a bipolar dad's group, and it's people who you really identify in this role of dad and want to talk with other dads dealing with the same you know health issues that they have. So we can go big, and we can also go very niche and small based on you know the interests that that folks have there. And one of the things that we've done you know recently that um, we're thrilled with is uh, this was just published um, in a top journal about two weeks ago. We did a lot of work with uh, a team at Harvard um, who was actually studying uh, uh, suicide ideation. And they do tremendous work, um, you know, really around like what helps reduce suicidal thoughts and things like that. And they theorized that they were fascinated by the content on our site, how open people were, how vulnerable people were, particularly around talking about, you know, their own suicidal thoughts. And so they, they believed that, um, that we were actually helping people, you know, by sharing each other's stories and all that, but they, they wanted to study it. And so we spent over a year really working on this and the results were phenomenal in that the, um, the folks that were getting kind of these daily stories from our community were having far fewer suicidal thoughts and it made them feel more optimistic and felt more like they were, they were, you know, it was the shared experiences that really made them feel like they're not alone. Right. And, um, and they think that, you know, we're going to do future studies with them now broadening out beyond suicide and looking at, you know, even, you know, if you're, uh, outside of mental health, you know, in the fields of rheumatology and others, we're, we're launching similar types of studies to see, cause we believe that we're going to see the same type of results. And they, the term that they have for it is called bibliotherapy, which is really just, you know, it's, it's, it's hearing, it's reading each other's stories. Um, and it's actually very, very helpful to folks. And, and I think what's, you know, what we really like about it is, is it's free and it's scalable. <laughs> Anybody could access, yeah. you know, the stories from others. Um, it's not hard to get. You can do it, you know, sitting there with your phone anywhere. It's it's um, uh, so we think it can be a, a very good, you know, a source of help, you know, for folks. Yeah, I love that. I mean, just with my father who was Alzheimer's and went through it, I, you know, I, I had my own small community with one of my best friends whose father had had Alzheimer's and just be able to share the symptoms and what we were going through uh, in there is, is so, so good. But there's so many different variations, whether it's Alzheimer's or, you know, vascular dementia or all the different things. So it's fascinating that you're able to use the stories to educate people about the different symptoms and other places in there and also my mother's bipolar so again it's you know we've had when she first first diagnosed it was a long while ago and actually she first diagnosed with some mental health issue but they weren't sure what it was so it, the, the impact of this must be huge mike not just on the patients and the families but the medical community in terms of the insights yeah and that's what we're learning. I mean, when we first bootstrapped this again eight years ago, um, it was you know, hey, can we can we build something that people that is actually helping people that people consume that they you know kind of go to, and it's been you know, you've had a lot of entrepreneurs on your, on your podcast. Um, you know, it's one of these things where you just keep working at it and figuring out, you know, how it evolves. And it was really two paths for us that we tried to marry. One was on how do we get more people to share their stories and get them in front of other people that would actually find them really helpful. Right. So, you know, we took a path toward that. And then at the same time, we had to take a path of, well, we have to make more money than we spend <laughs> this at some yeah, point, yeah. even though we had backing of, investors, 
Um, and so it took a long time to kind of get those two paths to meet, but they're finally there. Um, and you know, which is great. And so, you know, early on, we had a lot of anecdotal evidence. That this was helping people just from hearing people's comments and all that. But as we, you know, just the Harvard example is, is just one piece of where we're going and working with the medical community to show the impact um, that it's having and also just how valuable the, the data is um, like during kind of the first, you know, year and a half of COVID, we, uh, we were surveying our community to really understand the impact that the pandemic was having on them. Uh, and, you know, we asked hundreds of questions of the community and we had 1.3 million answers to those questions that came back. Wow. And so, we leveraged that in, these were all, you know, anonymized uh, responses. We leveraged that by working with uh, academic institutions and, you know, um, you know, kind of government groups, uh, because we had one of the richest sources of data on how people were experiencing, you know, life in the middle of the, you know, the pandemic. And so the impact, not just on people, but on kind of the healthcare ecosystem, I think is, you know, is we're seeing that that can be very, very large as well. I think that's a bit that we all forget, isn't it? The healthcare ecosystem and the surrounding, because we work with pharma companies and that big thing is getting close to the patient. So that's great. But it's, it's, it's the surrounding support and help that's, you know, what, no matter whether, what country you're in is, is, is big in there. So that's a, a massive impact in there. And when yeah. you talk about we and we talk about the, the business, cause you've got a, an amazing lifestyle. Your wife is with your daughter in Atlanta and, and tell us a bit about that. And then you're balancing the business. So when you talk about we, is it, is it really we or is it just you, Mike, doing all of this? <laughs> oh, no, no, it's, it's, it's very much a we. Um, yeah, this year, has been uh, probably the hardest year of our, you know, our families, you know, lives. And that's um, unfortunately uh, my daughter, who's also autistic. Um, she uh, just had a, a really rough time through the pandemic. You know, a lot of these kids with special needs lost their services, lost all the therapies. She happened to also be going through puberty um, and we were changing some uh, medications uh, and which did not go well. And so that created kind of a perfect storm. And she had a lot of um, really severe behavioral issues, um, you know, showing aggression toward um, all of us and herself. And, and, we ended up uh, trying a number of different things. Uh, ultimately, uh, ended up in a place where um, we're at the Mar uh, Marcus Autism Center in Atlanta, Georgia, which has a particular program for kids with severe behavioral um, issues. And unfortunately, years ago, I never would have thought that's where she would be, but that's where we find ourselves. So um, we were on a wait list for about nine months. And then back in February of this year, they told us, uh, if you guys can get here in the next month, um, spots yours. And so, uh, I moved there with her, um, in a two bedroom apartment in Atlanta while my wife and three boys were, uh, here in Los Angeles. Um, and so I was with her for about five months there. It's a, it's a day program. So she's there for five, six hours a day, you know, with, um, two or three people one-on-one -on -one with her, you know, or just, you know, with her at all times, helping her, um, and trying to develop a, a, a treatment program that helps her manage kind of cope better, you know, uh, with things and that we can help her not get so upset. Um, and, uh, and which is, would be good for not just her, but everyone, everyone in the family, to be honest. So, so I was there, um, through August, uh, and then came back to, get our middle two kids into school here. Um, and, uh, and my wife went out there. Um, so we had about a three week overlap where all six of us were in a 900 square foot apartment 
in, in Atlanta. Um, and then I drove back out here with, uh, with our middle two, um, to get them started in school and all of that. So it, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a challenge. I was listening to one of the podcasts you did uh, with another person this morning as I was getting the kids lunch together and the word he kept using was resilience. Right. And that really resonated with me because I think it's a skill that's been forced on us, um, for my wife and for me. And, um, but also for the, you know, the other kids, you know, too, is just, you know, figuring out our, our own way, you know, through all this. Um, and I mean, you talked about the broader, we, so we have about a 50 person, you know, company now, um, the mighty in terms of, uh, people working, uh, most in the U S or some folks international as well that are, you know, combined help with, uh, the content and distributing those stories, help with the, you know, product and engineering to make our app and our newsletters and our website, you know, work really well. Um, and, uh, a great moderation team that really helps keep it a safe and supportive place. Um, and of course now, uh, you know, a sales team, business development team that helps go out and, and talk to others in the healthcare industry and see how we can, you know, uh, ultimately partner with them. Yeah. And talk about a purpose-led business because a lot of, you know, the, I had a guest on that was just recording this morning and financial services, purpose-led business. And people are going, yeah, purpose-led business, but they do have a purpose, but your purpose is, is fundamental. But I presume it's shifting because it was a community and network and now it's shifting. So uh, how are you operate in that in terms of strategy and, and purpose? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think what's key is, you know, for the first several years, we didn't really think about revenue, which seems odd. Um, but we had investors who really believed in the idea of building up this robust, you know, community, but we did have to, um, we had some growing pains and we had to shift to getting everyone at the company to understand that we have to find ways to make money here. (laughs) And so that was uh, an important moment. And ultimately, you know, we built a great team. We found models that we thought worked great for partners as well as people in our community. Um, that was an important aspect. Um, but I think, you know, when I talk with other, you know, founders, entrepreneurs, um, I, I mean, one thing that we often talk about is in a selfish way, it's almost easier to build a business when you, when there is a very clear purpose because you can, it's a lot easier to recruit you know, you can get people who really want to buy into like, this is what they want to be a part of, especially for younger people, you know, this generation that they want to be a part of purpose-driven, you know, organizations. Um, and so it just, I think it's easier to, to pull all of these parts together that are very challenging for any type of organization. If you end up with people's, you have the buy-in at, at the beginning, they're here because of the purpose in some you know extent. So, um, you know, I kind of have this little mantra of there's, there's, you know, some different skill sets that I think go into building something. And the first part is I kind of drop them all under the word dream, which is there's, there's a real skill to figuring out, you know, something that you want to accomplish and the impact that it can have and getting people to really think bigger than maybe their initial idea is. And so that's, you know, an element of it. And then I think the second goes under the word build and that's all the stuff that just needs to you know, the things you do to make it happen. Right. And that's, you know, uh, it helps if you can be charismatic because you don't do it alone. You have to pull, you know, lots of people in, whether those are volunteers or employees or partners or, um, you know, it probably involves some type of sales that may not be monetary, but you're selling someone on the idea, <laughs> selling someone yeah. to give the time and effort, um, for our community members. We really had to sell them to, 
you know, if we didn't have 50,000 stories written by community members, we didn't, we wouldn't really have a community. So it's, it's that, you know, all of the, uh, the tenacity it takes just to keep, you know, building and figuring it out. And then the last word I use is serve. And I think that if you dream and build in the service of others, you're much more likely to be successful. And it's also just, you feel like it's worth your time. Um, I don't think anyone wants to, you know, wake up and just like, Hey, I want to go build widgets, right. Or like you want to really be doing something that serves others. So, um, the, one of the things we think about in terms of building the organization, and I think about it, frankly, in skills that I want my kids to learn, um, is, you know, those things under, under, you know, kind of dreaming and really seeing the future that you would want, uh, and then building all of the hard work that it takes to make happen. And then ultimately, you know, really making sure that the through line is that service, uh, and, and serving others. And that's not where I started with the mighty. That's only come about by going through the process of building it and, and figuring out a lot of these things along the way. And it, you know, it leads me to a, a question I always ask at the end, but I'm going to ask now because my, my sense is every time I talk to you, you're positive. Yeah. Every time I talk to you, you've got so much going on in your life that I think, wow, you know, my, my issues are just nothing, but the, there's something about experimentation that you've got that you do in the background that, so if you had to pick one thing, one big experiment that you've had, it could be the mighty, but, um, that you've learned from being successful from, what would it be? I mean, I think it would be the, the, the mighty, um, but I'd say the most important aspect of that is the storytelling. I mean, I think that's probably my, you know, people talk about what are your superpowers. And I do think, um, there's, and it's not just telling a story around a health issue, you know, for, for someone to read it and be helped like that needed to happen. But even, you know, getting investors on board, um, convincing a partner to work with us. Um, when we came up with the name, the mighty, my wife and I just sitting at the, <laughs> the dinner table one night, um, you know, it was when we came up with it, one of the ideas was, okay, I want to have a name where Johnson and Johnson, which is the biggest health company I could think of in the moment, uh, where they're spending $5 million with us. Right. And eight years later, they've come close to that $5 million amount now. <laughs> right. And wow. so it, it seems odd maybe to, to, you know, when you're sitting there thinking about it, but then it's just a matter of, okay, well, I can, I can do this. I can make this happen. And it's not all me. It's hiring the right people and all of that. But, um, but I think that experimentation is just a matter of, I gotta, let's just, let's go figure it out. Let's go do it. Um, and if you don't put yourself out there, it'll never happen. I love that. It's a, it's a pure version of manifestation. Yeah. This is the five million I'm going to do. And therefore I'm going to, I'm going to live it. And what I love about what you've gone through and such a story is it's one of them is the oxygen mask that you're putting your own oxygen mask on to look after yourself. It's you've created something that's given you such value. Then you've given the red thread to others, which is a big thing for purpose action without doing it for others seems to, to fail on a regular basis. But I love your leadership mantra around the, the dream, build and serve. Yeah. And immediately as I go to Atlanta, I go Martin Luther King, I have a dream, you know, that all of this is, is embedded in there. So if I had to ask you for the dream for you now, what would it be? Where are you going? Well, I think that I've got a dream for the mighty to become, uh, something that, uh, is household name that everyone knows that it's, you know, used by so many more people, um, you know, really grows into something much larger. And then, you know, by building the mighty and by going through all the, you know, challenges our family has of late, um, it has been thinking about the dream for our family, you know, so we actually about a mile and a half from where we live in the mountains, we, we bought a property with a absolute teardown house, you know, holes through 
through the ceilings. <laughs> it's not salvageable, but, nice. but it's the idea that, you know, my daughter really likes the, you know, being in nature, being outside the quiet, which this place will provide. And so, you know, we're in the, the early stages of, of, you know, kind of building a, a home. And I think, um, something that all the kids will be able to use in the long run. It's a, a nice big piece of property that I think, um, we can do a lot on, you know, as a, as a family. So that's one of our kind of short-term dreams for the family. It's actually, uh, we're still, we're still renters in Los Angeles right now. So, yeah. so that would, that'll be nice when we get there. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think a lot about my daughter's future. Um, and the ways that we can, you know, support her, uh, you know, and, and really the idea of her being in Atlanta right now as challenging as it is for the whole family is that we think that it will uh, really help her, you know, long-term well-being. Um, you know, we've always said that the two things we want for her are as much happiness as she can have and as much independence as she can have. And, um, you know, we're really trying to work toward those goals so that her world can open up into something, you know, bigger than it is um, and more fulfilling, I think, than it is right now. And I've got to ask, because people will be asking, but what about the boys? Because the boys in this, they sound like they're rocks in terms of the support of the family, but it's not easy to be in that position. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be challenging for them. I think, you know, there are a couple moments that really, um, you know, showed me how, you know, the challenges that they were facing, um, you know, one of my kids, uh, when Annabelle was having a lot of these aggressive behaviors, um, you know, was telling me from his room, he was asking me if it was safe to come out of his room. And that was heartbreaking to me that in his own house, he wasn't, sure that he was safe if he, you know, walked out of his bedroom door. Um, and we, you know, one of the things we try to do to reduce some of the tension, you know, there, there weren't a lot of places we could take the boys during the pandemic. Everything was shut down. I started taking them camping, um, because it was something that we could still do. And, and it relieved some pressure for them. And I think for my, you know, it was just, there's a lot of us in a small house and it was just, it was tough. Um, and now they, uh, by, you know, we visit a lot of national parks, um, here in California and and they now have a goal. They want to camp in every national park. Oh, <laughs> nice. of them. And we've actually, we've, we've been to, we've camped in 20 of them in the, uh, in the last two years, which is great. But, but I, I, I want to bring back resilience around them too, because it's amazing how much resilience kids, you know, can have and to show. And so what I, what I realized is, I have to ask them questions. Um, they're not typically going to say how they're really feeling about something, but if I, you know, bring it up. We'll go out to dinner, you know, now just with the two of them. So, you know, I got them haircuts, you know, after school yesterday, then we went out to Mexican restaurant and we had a really nice conversation, but I have to kind of create moments like that and then ask them how they're doing because they're not going to volunteer, you know, a lot of that. Um, but, uh, but it's important that they know, uh, my wife and I really, you know, tried to, uh, repeat this often to them, why we're doing what we're doing this year, you know, why we're, split up as a family and, uh, and all of that. And it was important, you know, for them, I think to go to, uh, they were in Atlanta for about three weeks with us and for them to see the center that she's going to and, uh, hear from the people working with her and so that they could see that aspect as well. Um, so, uh, but yeah, they're really resilient kids and, um, we just have to, again, continue to, you know, ask questions so that we make sure that we can respond to the, the needs that they have. I love that. I mean, I always remember being seven or eight year old and um, there was a, a daughter next door who had learning difficulties and behavioral problems. And I always remember 
almost a shock as a seven or eight year old, not being able to deal with it, but being feeling shame to be able to to have to to say it or explain it. So you know, it's great that they are resilient and they're able to talk about it. It's good. It's it's amazing how natural it, it comes to them. I agree with you. I didn't grow up knowing a lot of you know, kids with special needs or you know other challenges. It was that generation. It was uh, they didn't go to the same school. They didn't. They weren't really around as much. Um, and these kids are growing up in a very different way. We sponsor the the local like baseball team. So one of my kids, you know, he plays for the mighty. It's a good baseball team name. Yeah, <laughs> well. it is great name. <laughs> and one of the kids, I overheard the conver- <laughs> I overheard one of the other kids asking him in the dugout something about the mighty, and he was talking about that he has a sister who's autistic, and then he explained autism. This is from at the time he was eight or nine years old. He explained it as her brain is wired differently, which I thought was such a uh, a nice way to explain it is to another kid. Um, but it's just amazing how much that they, they see and they know, and they intuitively just pick up. And what I was really proud of him for was when he was talking about the mighty, when he's talking about his sister, there was no negativity in any of it. You know, so often we think of disease, disability, and they always start with dis a negative, you know, connotation. And I was so happy to hear him talk about his sister, not in a negative way, but just that she's different. And, um, and that, you know, that's the type of thing that we try to, you know, instill in them. You never know, <laughs> never really know if it's working until you see those moments like that one, where I was just like, okay, some of the parenting stuff that, that we're doing is actually you know, paying off here. Yeah, I love that. And, uh, you know, for me, it, it brings to uh, a full circle everything about this. Because when I first met you, heard the story, I thought, here's a, a man and his wife who are, are trying to build something which is amazing and have built something that's amazing. But hearing your personal story, I suddenly realized the person you are. And, I, you know, you, you're living the dream, the build, the serve. Um, but I, I love that story about your son at the end because as a parent, I know how hard it is. But to go through what what you're going through and still get kids coming out with that uh, respect to you both in terms of what you've done, Mike, that, that is brilliant. Thank you. So much thanks for coming on and, and talking today. If people want to find out more about the mighty or to contact yourself, how would they do that? How would they find you? Yeah. So the easiest way is just go to the website, themighty.com. Um, we also have an app. They just search for the mighty though. They can, um, you know, find that they can also sign up for newsletters in both of those places for, you know, health issues or conditions that they, you know, may have. Um, and if anyone wanted to reach out to me, I'm just Mike at themighty.com. So they can just drop me a, drop me an email. Brilliant. Well, it was, uh, again, f- to f- continue our conversation, brilliant to catch up with you. Thank you for sharing your story, and uh, I'm sure people have got a huge amount out of this. Mike, I wish you all the best, and good luck with the, the two lives, and hopefully at some point soon you get that house, <laughs> that done, and you're back together. I-, I wish you all well. Yeah. Thanks so much, Colin. I really appreciate you having me on. So that was Mike Horath. Uh, brilliant story. Um, so a heartrending in some ways, but so hopeful in another way. And the, the story about his house and how they bought it in the mountains, um, that they can find a place where the daughter 
can enjoy nature, but it sounds like the boys as well can enjoy nature um, and live and be there. And hopefully they can, they can get to all the national parks in California and camp out, which sounds a, a great story. But I, I think the most poignant moment was um, it is in all parents or uh, leaders. It's that moment where somebody, when you overhear them, uh, crafts in a positive way the story of what they've gone through um, and his son telling his friend about the brain being wired different, no negative, no, no negative connotation about his, his sister's uh, condition is, is just, is powerful. But I also love what it's, uh, what the power of possibility of having a dream, um, sitting down, crafting it, and then putting the thought in the mind about, you know, I'm going to get J&J, I'm going to have $5 million of them investing in this for the good for others and then achieving it. It is fantastic. So Mike Porath and his wife and his family and the whole community in the mighty, um, huge respect uh, from us. Thank you. Look forward to welcoming you back in another uh, episode of the Leadership Tales podcast very shortly. 